Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. Psalm 121, verse 1. If you guys are there, uh, have you read along with me. Psalm 121, starting in verse 1, it says this. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth forevermore. Let's pray. Father, what an honor it is just to come before your throne this morning. Lord, we give you all the praise, all the glory, all the worship, God. It all belongs to you now. Father, we thank you that because your son Jesus lives, we can face tomorrow. So, Father, I just pray right now, Lord, as we open your word, God, that we see what you have for us, God, that has been kept through generation to generation and will continue to be kept for generation to generation. God, the truths that you have for us, that our help comes from you. Father, direct our eyes now to the cross. Direct our eyes towards you now in this time, Father. Open our eyes, our hearts, and our ears, Lord, to hear your word. Father, I pray uh, all these things in your son's name for his sake. Amen. Amen. Today, I titled this message, Lift Your Eyes, Weary Sinner. I believe in this psalm that there are two things Two distinctive truths about our God that we can hold fast to. Two things, if you're a note taker, these are going to be the two things we're going to talk about today. Number one, we see in this passage that the Lord our God is our helper. And number two, we see that the Lord our God is our keeper. So number one, our Lord God is our helper. Number two, the Lord our God is our keeper. Let's go back to verse one. The psalmist writes, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? Now, a little bit of context here. I think context is always important when we just jump into a passage. These psalms, Psalms 120 to Psalms 134, are what are commonly known as Psalms of Ascent. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the Psalm of Ascent, I believe Pastor Isaac preached about it a a few years ago, but I'll give you a little bit of refresher on them. Every single year, uh, those who... Uh, were believing in God, Jewish believers would travel on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship at the temple at least three different times of the year. And this psalm was basically the writings as as they were traveling as pilgrims uh, to the temple to worship. Now you notice in verse 1 it says, I lift my eyes to the hills. I believe we've got a picture up here. Uh, This is kind of an artist's rendition of it, but this is the temple. And as you can see, it kind of is elevated. And so you can imagine these different pilgrims who, as they are along their way, right, it's quite the trek for probably some of these people as they're walking to the temple to worship. And you can only imagine as they're going down the road, they lift up their eyes, and sure enough, there's the temple in the forefront. You know, it's kind of funny, yesterday when we were picking up trash, we were right along the highway here, and uh, as we were walking, uh, it was quite a, a trek 
for some of us. We had some group start all the way down past the racetrack. Uh, myself and a few others were starting down here, and we were going to meet. And as you know, right next to the tire shop, you get right over that hill, and you could see quite a bit of it. And it was so relieving whenever, uh, I believe it was Nevea and I and Addie and Maddie and I, as we were tracking along, like, oh, this is so exhausting, picking up the trash, and oh, just getting so exhausted. And finally, we get over the hill, and what do you know? Orange vest, our help. <laughs> you know, you could only imagine. And I think that that was probably how these people were. When they were pilgriming along, right, they look up, and they see the temple, and they see the dwelling place of God, and they get encouraged, right? They get encouraged. For us, obviously, we're blessed to have a short drive to church. Could you imagine walking to church every Sunday? Oh, I couldn't imagine. But the writer, he says, he lifts his eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? And luckily for us, the psalmist, he doesn't leave us questioning. He answers the question. He says, my help comes from the Lord. Now, of course, when we apply this passage to a more practical use, right, for us as Christians, we don't travel to Jerusalem, right, every so often, right, we come to church on Sundays, we have an opportunity to worship God where we are, you know, it's a, it's a joy. But I think in a very applicational sense, this is an amazing question, because it means a lot for us as Christians, as believers. Many of us, if not all of us in this room, I'm sure I can boldly say all of us in our lifetime will go through some kind of suffering and trial. For some of us, this suffering and trial can be devastating. These things that happen in our lives that rattle our faith, it can really cause us to doubt and wonder and have a difficult time. Obviously, you heard Kara earlier, right? So often in our lives, we try to rely on ourselves when we come to a time of need. When something happens in our lives, we try to figure things out by ourselves. And of course, we understand as Christians we're not supposed to rely on our own strength, but yet we do it so often. So often do we try to rely on our own help or even from the help of others when we don't even look towards the source of our help, our God. I'll tell you a quick story. In 2014, it would be about a year or 10 years ago next year in June, I... Uh, I was doing summer sports. I, was, uh, I played sports in high school. I, I played basketball. I ran track. I, I was very active. I did things in the summer times. And I remember uh, in June of, of 2014, uh, I got done with the basketball tournament. I got home, and I just had the worst stomach ache of my life. I just couldn't figure out why. And the next day, I, I missed basketball practice, and I ended up going to the doctor. And they gave me some drugs. They thought it was just some acid reflux or something like that. Well, as the week went on, I was taking these drugs, and I, my skin started turning bright yellow, and I was like, uh-oh, that's not good. <laughs> and I went back to the doctor, and the doctor said, okay, well, let's take some more tests. And they said that they found a lot of sugar in my urine, and they're like, well, that's not normal. And, of course, I, me thinking, oh, well, I just ate a candy bar before I came in. That's probably what it is, right? And they said, no, that's not, <laughs> that's not it at all. Well, that weekend, I was set to go run a, a 10K. I was a runner. And uh, I got there. I was really sick. I didn't know. My stomach ache turned into headaches. I was getting lightheaded a lot. Um, and I was thinking, I was just coming off of, of playing sports. You know, I, I should have been feeling pretty active. And I tried to run the, the 10K. I barely made it through. And I went home. And I got even more sick. I, and praise the Lord, I think this is all God's providence, but a lady who had a grandson who was diabetic just so happened to come over to our house and 
Sure enough, they checked my blood sugar, which I didn't even think why they would do that. But sure enough, they checked my blood sugar. 550 was my blood sugar. Now, for those of you who don't know, that's really high. <laughs> I think a normal person's blood sugar is like 90 to or 110 or something like that. Went to the hospital, found out through some more tests that I was a type 1 diabetic. And throughout my life, it, one of the most difficult things with being diabetic, and for those of you who have pre-existing or just conditions, medical issues uh, that are lifelong, it's really discouraging because you know this is something that's going to cost a lot of money for one, and also it's going to take a lot of energy to, to keep up. And I remember being at that age, I was going into my senior year of high school, I had all these dreams and ambitions, and I was like, oh my goodness. And I was just so lost in that time. I was so discouraged, and I was wondering where my God was in that time. Even though I knew he was there, it felt like he was gone. Why would a loving God give me type 1 diabetes? That sounds just horrible. See, when life gets difficult, we tend to get so discouraged and downtrodden. We wrestle with our sufferings. And for many of us, we begin to fall into an attitude of unbelief, wondering if our God is even present in our situation. We hang our heads low and wonder if he's abandoned us and left us to fend for ourselves. Now understand, these are very valid feelings. And rest assured that that is you today. If you are struggling with something, a health issue, financial issues, relationship issues, know you're not alone. Luckily for us in this psalmist, we can figure out something pretty amazing, that our help doesn't come from ourselves, that our help comes from the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. We must understand that despite our trials, despite our sufferings, our unbeliefs, our Lord, our God is our helper. We don't have to face these burdens alone. And I think the psalmist even might have thought ahead for us readers today in the modern world who question everything, okay, well, if God's my helper, then how, how does that encourage me? How does it help me? This thing that I can't see, can't touch, can't feel, how is God going to help me? Well, he gives you some more encouragement. Look with me in verse 2. He says, my help comes from the Lord, but he says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Friends, without a shadow of a doubt, that should give us the ultimate hope. Think about this for a second. The creator of the universe, of the sea, the sky, the stars, the one who set all things into place and keeps things in perfect harmony, he is your help. He is your help in your time of need. To think about it, when he created you, he did so without making a mistake. Think about that psalm that says that he knitted you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Think back into Genesis when he created man. He created it in his image. You're a special creation because you are from God. Not only this, but if you are in Christ Jesus today, Scripture says that you are a child of God. Co-heirs with Christ to think about that, to be encouraged by that, is to know that you have an amazing God who loves you and cares for your every need, and he is your help. He is your help. The God who has control over all things has control over your situation. Can I tell you that today, my friends? He is your help. We continue on in verse 3 and 4. The writer says that he will not let your foot be moved. 
He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. If that wasn't confidence enough or to encourage you even more, I think this passage continues to encourage. Because what this does, reading that he will not let your foot be moved, he won't sleep nor slumber, gives us even more encouragement and confidence that there's nothing on heaven or on earth that God does not have the utmost control over. Not only this, but it shows that God preserves his people. It's so funny when Maddie and I first started coming here, it's so interesting to see all the little babies who were here, and then now it's been, what, a year, year and a half almost, and seeing all these little babies now are toddlers, and I don't, obviously we don't have any kids of our own, but it's so funny watching kids just run around and absolutely just knock into every little thing that they can possibly find. They just, it seems like they fall down more than they stand up. I just, I, it's so interesting to me. But it's so funny because I, I think about like on social media, I see so often those videos of, of the babies who are on the edge of the bed and then they're about to fall off and then the dad somehow just with like ninja-like ability just grabs them. I, it scares the junk out of me to think that <laughs> I don't know how they do it. Dad's in here, mom's even. You guys, I don't know how you're able to save your kids from absolute destruction because it's amazing. But it seems like they're indestructible as well. It seems like they just bounce back. I, it's crazy to me. But anyway, I think about that with us. How often do we stumble and fall, but yet God just grabs us and helps us? That's the loving God that we serve. When we say that God's our Father, just like an earthly father, he preserves us. He keeps us. He, he helps us in that way. I love what it says when it says, Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So not only does he not let your foot be moved, right? Now, now here's something I want to add here, and I, wanna, I think this is really important. What I'm not saying here today is that when you are in Christ, when you believe in God and you're truly trusting in him, that bad things will never happen to you, okay? I wish that I had that amazing message to tell you today, but the reality is we live in a fallen world. There's a lot of things around us that we can't control. But one thing we do know is that God has control over our situations and we can trust in him. He is where our strength comes from and we have strength in him in our times of need. But then we see here, that he who keeps Israel neither slumber nor sleep. So here we hear that not only God is our helper in our time of need, that he doesn't allow our foot to be moved, but that we have confidence that the Lord who created all things, set them into perfect harmony and order, will not allow for us to be moving or shaken. And on top of that, he never sleeps or get tired. Let me tell you, yesterday after picking up trash, I got pretty tired and I fell asleep for about two hours. Uh, our landlord... Uh, texted us halfway through our nap and said that our sewage was leaking. I was dead asleep through all that, so I had no idea. But it's a beauty to know that our God never sleeps. He doesn't clock out at the end of the day and you can't reach him past business hours. 24-7, 365, your God is available for you. And to think about the idea of our God never sleeping, I think about a story in the book of Mark. Many of you probably know it. Mark chapter 4, verse 35, will be on the screen, you can follow along. It's an amazing story about our Lord Jesus, how though he was asleep, had control. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 says, on that day when evening had come, he, meaning Jesus, said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, and he took them 
with him in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. Couldn't even imagine. And they woke him, and they said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the winds and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? I tell you what, one of the things if you come into my office, you see that I've got paintings all over my wall. I love art. And one of my favorite paintings of all time, I think we've got a picture of it on the screen. Maybe you're familiar with it. Is this painting known as Christ in the Storm on the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful painting. I'm sure for many of you, it's probably hard to see from where you're at, but um, come into my office sometime and I'll, I'll show you in a little bit more detail. But this painting was painted hundreds of years ago in 1633 by the Dutch Golden Era painter Rembrandt. Now this is a really neat painting. I want to give you a couple of uh, trivia facts for you. Just, this painting is so cool. Uh, number one, an interesting fact is that, uh, little known fact, this is actually a stolen painting uh, back in 1990, it was in uh, an art museum in Boston, and two men dressed up as police officers came in, tied up the, the prison guard, or prison guard, the police officer who was watching over, and, uh, and they stole this painting as, long as, as well as others. It's not been recovered yet. Now, here's the deal. You're going to go into my office and see that painting. I did not take it, I promise, okay? <laughs> but really neat painting. And also, number two, I, it might be kind of hard to see here, but if you count out the disciples and Jesus, you get 14 people. You might be thinking to yourself, okay, well, I know Jesus isn't a disciple, but that would make 13, so why is there 14 people? If you look, there's a gentleman here. I'm, again, I, w I probably can't show you as well. There's a gentleman there uh, looking out towards the viewer. That's actually Rembrandt himself. He painted himself into the painting, so pretty nifty. But what I love about this painting more than all that is that it shows the scene you see the, the distress, how all of these guys are just getting so terrified, so scared. The winds and the waves are crashing against this boat. You think about it, at that time, a fisherman's boat, that thing was probably just, I mean, you can only imagine when a storm would hit that boat and they're out in the middle of the sea, how terrifying that must have been. And the waves are rocking and, and hitting against the boat, and the disciples are panicking. They're panicking. They're like, oh my goodness, Lord. And then they look at Jesus, and he's asleep. Like, what? <laughs> and they asked that question. They said, God, they said, Jesus, do you even care about us? Do you even care that we are perishing? We're going to die if you don't do something. You're supposed to be the Lord. You're supposed to be the Messiah. You're supposed to be the one, right? How are you not helping us? And what does Jesus do? In full Jesus fashion, he stands up and with all authority he says, peace, be still. And what happens? The waves calm down. And I almost think it's kind of funny because you can only imagine that if any of us were in that situation, we'd probably act like the disciples and be panicked. But then Jesus looks at them and what does he say? He says, where's your faith? Where's your faith? You knew that I had control over this. Here he was asleep, but yet he still had full control over the situation. 
none of the disciples perished in that moment because he had full control. And I think oftentimes that's kind of us. When life starts getting crazy, when things seem to be stirring up and we just have no control, we're like, God, do you even care about my situation? Do you even care, Lord? Can I give you the confidence that he does care? He cares for the littlest of things, right? We know in Matthew, we've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount and youth. One of my favorite passages say, consider the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap or gather into barns, but yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Christian, your help comes from the Lord. He still has full control over your life. Though the storms in your life are raging on, though things are crashing against your boat and you think you're about to sink, I love what that old song, I know maybe some of you, Squire Parsons, Master of the Sea, I'm so glad he sails with me because he is the master of the sea. He's the master over your life if you trust in him. But Christian, may I ask, are you trusting him today? I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord your God is your help at any given time. We have assurance of that. So first we see that the Lord our God is our helper. Finally, we see that the Lord your God is your keeper. We understand that God is our help in our time of need. But he doesn't just, as soon as you're, you get your life figured out and things get back on track, he doesn't just leave you and say, all right, well, until next time. No, he keeps you. He keeps you for the rest of your life. See what, look with me here. Psalm 121, chapter, chapter 121, verse 5. It says, The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. These passages continue with the assurance that if you're looking to God for your help, he not only will help you, but he will preserve you for the rest of your days. In verses 5 and 6, the, the psalmist says that the Lord will shade you from both the sun and the moon. In verse 7, the writer says he'll keep you from all evil in your life. Again, I just want to reiterate that though the Lord your God is your help and your keeper, evil will still be around you. It is all around you. It doesn't take long for us to turn on the news and to see the lost, broken world that we live in. There are so many things going on around you that are so discouraging, and they can easily allow us or make us want to go back into the world because we just fall into those things and cause us more to despair and depression and anxiety. But that is why it's so incredibly important. I tell my youth kids this about every single week. For us to shade ourselves from the world, to keep us from the, from the world, we have to be enriched this word. We have to be daily in the word to be able to fight these battles. We can't fight them on our own. We need the strength from our God. And to know these things is to know the word of God. If you're not in the word daily, you're going to fall victim 
right? Satan himself roams around like a lion seeking those to devour. We have to be on guard, but we have to truly trust in the Lord in all our days, all of our things, every little thing that happens in your life. Are you trusting in God that he'll make a way and make provisions? When we cling to God, when we draw closer to him and make the decision to say, I'm going to look less like the world and more like you, that honors God. And we become more apt to see the spiritual blessings in our life. Do you realize that God does so many amazing things for you and hardly ever do you notice it? When you sit there and think about the blessings on your life, right, that, like that old song says, count your blessings, name them one by one, and see what God has done. If you are in Christ this morning, nothing will be able to shake you. Despite the world trying to get into your mind and break you down even more, if you know Christ as Lord, you are immovable. Might I even say there's a lifetime guarantee for those in Christ. What an amazing thought. God will not allow you to be removed from his grasp. If we truly repent and believe in the gospel, meaning I'm no longer going to live for myself and rely on my own strength, but live and rely on the strength of the Lord, there will be nothing, and I mean nothing, that will be able to shake you from that for the rest of your life. See what the verse says in verse 8. It says, the Lord will keep you, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. There's a passage in Matthew. I've already mentioned the Sermon on the Mount once, but there's a passage in the Sermon on the Mount that I absolutely love. In, verse, in chapter 7, verse 24, many of you probably know this. This is actually the theme for camp this year. It's foundations. But hear these words. This is Jesus speaking. In verse 24, it says, Everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains fell and the flood came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So let me ask you this question today, a simple question. What foundation are you building your house on? Are you building it on things like your relationships with others, your spouse, your friends, your finances, your children, your livelihood? Or are you building that on the rock that is Jesus? Because let me tell you, it doesn't take long when you're building your house on something other than Christ, when any time something bad happens in your life, the heart gets broken. The house that is your heart gets swept away in the storm. That's why people fall so deep into darkness, because they're not relying on the light of Christ. I pray today that you're building your house on the solid rock of Jesus, and that he is truly your firm foundation. And we might think to ourselves, well, I don't need that. I'm doing pretty good, if you ask me, Pastor Trent. Okay. You know, there's a story. Uh, they always say that the Titanic is the gateway to history nerds. 
Maddie and I were history majors in, in college, and I'm pretty sure both of us have agreed that our first big thing of history that we loved learning about was the Titanic. <laughs> I don't really know why. But if, I'm sure many of you are familiar with the story, but if not, I'll tell it again. In, in April of 1912, the Titanic set, fit from, set sail from Belfast, Ireland. Taking two years and over 12,000 men to complete, the ship was an absolute marvel for its time, and even by today's standards, was quite impressive. Very long ship. Being the most advanced and largest ship of his time, the architect of the ship, Thomas Andrews, claimed that it was virtually unsinkable. We'll see about that. With multiple airtight compartments that would be raised at any time, there was utmost confidence that this ship could withstand anything that was thrown at her. Well, even the captain of the ship, Edward Smith, was recorded by saying, God himself couldn't sink her. I think you can pick up where I'm going with this, huh? Words of pride, as many of us would know, would later be tested and failed. Of course, many of us know the story. April 14, 1912, came around in the middle of the night, and the ship struck an iceberg, and just after two days, a few days, into our maiden voyage would sink in the middle of the icy waters of the Atlantic Ocean, taking the lives of over 1,500 people, including both the architect, Andrews, and Captain Smith. I think this story shows us we might think that we've got it all down. We might think that we have it all figured out. We don't need help from God. But oftentimes our pride and our arrogance, what is the old quote that says pride comes before the fall? Let me tell you today, if you are not in Christ, if you think that you can get things figured out on your own, I'm, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you can't. You must rely on the strengths of God, but more importantly, you need to rely on your salvation being in Jesus Christ. Today, if you are not in Jesus, let me explain. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sin is anything and everything that we do that goes against God's perfect will and plan. Every single one of us in this room sin, it's a reality. I sin, and it's something that if we don't take care of it, and I'll explain what that means in just a second, if we don't repent of our sin, if we go one of these days, you're gonna, we're all going to go on to the other side of glory, and we're going to have to give an account to God. And if we are still in our sin at death, we have eternity separated from him in a place called hell. God is so good and glorious and we in our sin are not. It says in scriptures that our righteousness is like filthy rags. We have nothing to give to God. But yet he has all to give to us through his son Jesus. Scriptures say that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for you. He died for me. If you don't know who Jesus is, he was a man who lived many, many years ago, thousands of years ago who walked this earth like you and I, but yet lived a perfect, sinless life. Why? Because he was God in the flesh. And he lived this perfect life, and he lived and he taught, performed miracles, many things, but the greatest thing he did was go to a cross that was made for you and for me, sinners. And he was put on that cross, humiliated and despised, rejected by man. Even his own followers fled. Denied him. 
Jesus went on the cross and he died, but of course we know that's not the end of the story. Just celebrated a few weeks ago. He laid in a tomb for three days and then on the third day he rose. And because of that, we have victory over the grave. Not by our own strength, but by his. And so I pray today that if you don't know Jesus as Savior, if you are not looking to God for your help, I pray that today you are able to find that. I just pray now as we bow our heads. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com. 